Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. This Sunday is our annual Vision Sunday. It's a time for us to refresh and renew the vision we believe the Lord has given us as we seek to make disciples who make disciples. We want to see every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. How many of you have seen one of these this past year? Maybe not that. Yeah? You should. According to ophthalmologists, you're supposed to get your vision checked every year because it's one of the things that starts to lose focus, right? And in the same way, uh, every year we take a Sunday right around this time of years to remind ourselves of the vision that God has given us at Cherry Hills. We call it Vision Sunday. Because we recognize it's so easy for us as a church, I know it is for me, to lose focus of God's purpose and plan, not only for me, but for us as a community of believers. And so just a, just a reminder, do you remember not what the vision is, but what the mission of the church is? If you need a hint, it's right behind me on these banners right here. In fact, can we read that out loud together? It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That part's not on there. Are you ready? <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then also not on the banners, Jesus finishes by saying, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So if you're following on your notes, the mission of every church is to join Jesus in making disciples. Every church, the capital C church, we all have the exact same mission. We are joining Jesus in this world and what he's doing. And what he's doing is making disciples who then go on to make more disciples. But here's what's great about the Lord. And here's what's great about his vision for the church, the local church. Just because we share the same mission with every capital C church doesn't mean that the way we fulfill that mission always has to be the same. This is, for me, part of the beauty of the diversity of what God has created when he created the church. Every church can have a particular vision for how they pursue the mission of God. Now, we're all unified together in our mission. Every church is, right? This is why we pray for another church every single Sunday. We're on the same team. That's great. That's good news. But we have different visions for how we might accomplish God's purpose for us. So think of it this way. Football, NFL football starts in about a month. What is the mission of every single football team? To win the Super Bowl. Unless you're the Minnesota Vikings. (laughs) Still waiting. But here's the thing. They all have the same mission, but the vision they have for how to accomplish that mission is going to be different, right? It's based on their strengths and their strategies and their coaches. And in the same way, the church has the same mission, but we have a different vision for how to accomplish this. And we've been saying this for a few years now. Here is the vision that we believe God has given us. I tried to make that look like an eye chart. Can we read it out loud together? It says... We want to see every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. As we seek out his mission to make disciples who make disciples, 
What we want to do is see every generation, one of the things I love about our church, I see it right now, we are an intergenerational church. I love that. And we want to see every generation giving themselves fully, being all in, in the way of Jesus and in his mission. And so like I said, we set aside a day, a Sunday, every single year, right about this time, to talk about our vision. And this year, the way I want to come about it is by asking you a question. And this question has been on my heart for some time now, actually mostly during and since COVID. And the question is this, what would you say is the greatest problem facing the American church today? In fact, why don't you just, there's a little space next to that problem on your notes. What would you write? Go ahead and write what you think should be there. Here's the greatest problem facing the American church. Now listen, I'm not asking you what the greatest problem in America is. Let's not get those things mixed up. I'm asking you what the greatest problem in the American church is. Now, I don't have time. Some of you, at some point, I was kind of thinking maybe I'd have you shout out some answers. We can't do that. But I wonder if maybe some people wrote the wokeness movement or Christian nationalism or politics just in general, right? How about sexual identity issues going on in our culture today? Maybe some of you wrote that some stores still in our culture call it Xmas instead of Christmas. The greatest problem facing the church today, right? Here's what I think it is, and thankfully I'm the one that has the microphone. After 21 years of being a pastor here in this church, and again, especially post-COVID, here's what I'm noticing. It's apathy. Now, what is apathy? I think a lot of people think apathy is just laziness, but that's not the definition of apathy. If you're following on your notes, according to the Oxford Dictionary, apathy is defined as a lack of motivation, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern. When I think of this word, here's the picture I think of. This is my favorite gif. Apathy. It's just sort of this, eh, attitude that I see in our church and culture today. If I apply this to the church, here is where I see apathy the most. If you're following, I would describe it like this. Spiritual apathy is an indifference to Jesus and his mission. It's a faith that sort of just goes through the motions. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm all good. It's kind of this may add it, meh attitude, right, that has been exasperated since COVID. Apathy is definitely a part of the larger culture that we're living in today, but it has made its way into the church. And if I'm honest with you, it's made its way into my life as well. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think many of us experience this every day in our lives, right? We have this disconnect between what we know to be true and how we actually live those things out. We know what a good, self-giving life looks like, but it's hard for us to lift a finger to do anything about it. In my life, I'll just give you one example how this plays out. I know it would be good at, after dinner for our family to just spend some time talking, playing games, doing community and life together. But you know what? It's so much easier to watch that fourth episode of whatever show we're watching on Netflix and just hit play. Apathy. Other examples I've seen are we're aware that physically gathering together with other believers in worship is good for us. I mean, that's literally the definition, as Jeff just said, of the church, the gathered people of God. But it's become so much easier to stay at home in my pajamas and watch church online. 
Other examples are, I know we need a smaller community. I need a smaller community in my life to encourage me, to sharpen me in the way of Jesus, to follow him. But gosh, you know what? People are hard. They're difficult. And so I'd rather not get involved in that kind of situation. We know that God's very own word has been given to us, and we have more access to it than any time in human history. But it's so much easier for me to wake up in the morning and look at the news or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Apathy. We know that we have the greatest message on earth, the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ, and yet, It's easier just to fit in with people, to not try to rock the boat with them. This is called apathy, and I know many of us, including me, can be stricken by it. Now, to be clear, thankfully, the American church isn't the only church that struggled with apathy. In fact, if you haven't already, I'd like to look at another church that struggled with this in the book of Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. We get to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus actually talks about apathy and what it can do for us and how to get out of it. If you don't have a Bible and you're with us this morning, we have black Bibles in the seat underneath you there. I would love for you to grab one of those and you can find this on page 993 of those black Bibles. And we say it every week, but if you don't have your own Bible, please take that home with you as our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's word. Now, just a little background here. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is writing seven letters to seven churches in the Asia Minor area. And he has a specific word for each one of these churches. Sometimes it's an encouraging word. Other times it's a challenging word. And this letter that we're going to look at was written to a church in what is known as Laodicea. In fact, it starts this way in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write... These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's Jesus, right? And now read verses 15 and 16 out loud with me on your notes. Here's what he says to this church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm sure you can picture this image, right? It's something we've all experienced. In fact, just last Saturday, when it was really hot out, I went on this 50-mile bike ride, and I had run out of water on my ride. But I I had water, thankfully, in my car. So I got back to my car, put my bike up. I went to take a drink of the water, and warm, lukewarm water, not refreshing in the bit. And Jesus says, that's what I see when I see your church, lukewarm. Neither hot, neither cold. You're just sort of, eh. The image actually is referring to a city that was really close to Laodicea called Heropolis. And the Romans had built these aqueducts to go down into Laodicea. They had these hot springs up there. But by the time the water would flow down into Laodicea, it was filled with this, these minerals and it was also just lukewarm. And Jesus says, that's what I'm seeing happening in your church right now. And I feel sick. I want to spit you out when I think about the kind of apathy that's going on there. Now, what is causing their apathy? Well, let's pick it up in verse 17. Jesus talks about it. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. 
But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Did you see it here? What's causing their apathy? They got everything they need already. We're comfortable. So they become complacent. Laodicea was famous for their wealth, for their doctors there, the medicine they had, and for their clothing. But spiritually speaking, Jesus says to them, you're the complete opposite. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And certainly, I would say, would you agree that this is one of the causes of apathy in the American church today? This, this I have so much stuff, I don't really need Jesus If you're following, I'm going to walk through five causes of apathy. And this is the first one. If you're on your notes, the first cause of apathy is an overabundance that leads to self-reliance. That church lived in one of the richest cities in the known world at that time. Does that ring a bell for us at all in America? Even if you're in the lower middle class in America, you have more stuff than 95% of the rest of the world. We have a lot of stuff. And what happens is we get comfortable. We don't need to pursue Jesus so dependently anymore. We have our ticket to heaven. And so we just sit back and sort of like, eh, apathy. Jesus says, that's going to make you impotent. That's going to make you lukewarm. Like the parable of the man who kept building storehouses to hold all of his wealth, what can happen is we can start to fixate on all the stuff that we have, and it takes our mind to those things. It takes our heart to those things. This is why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the Gospels, right? He knows we cannot serve both God and money. So be careful of acquiring an overabundance of stuff where you start to become self-reliant instead of reliant on Me. Second cause of the spiritual apathy I see in the church today is a never-ending list of distractions. So let's be clear. We got a lot of stuff, but we also have a lot of distractions. We literally, what do you have in your pockets right now? You have a computer in your pocket that can give you access to any information at any time you want. It contains games and social media and shopping apps, right? We have more distractions in our day and age than we anybody ever had in the ages past. I don't know about you, but that's a breeding ground for me for apathy. I can find myself going, oh, I need to look this thing up. And I look it up, and 45 minutes later... I've gone down the rabbit hole of all of these things that are available to me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, online shopping, fantasy sports, guilty, 24-hour news channels, on and on and on, right? We have so much distractions. I love it, too. It just happened. It happened to you if you have an iPhone. Every Sunday, right about this time, we get a little message that says, here's your usage this last week. I love that it happens every Sunday right in church because I'm like, oh, that hurts. And the result of these distractions, I would say, leads us to the third cause of apathy, which is we spend our time pursuing trivial things instead of the truly important things. Does that make sense? Right? We become numb 
to what really is important in life. Some of you remember the Lego movie? Remember that movie? Remember the song that it was famous for? Everything is awesome. Usi Anazor refers to this song in a book he wrote called Overcoming Apathy. And he says it's a great example of losing sight of the important. He writes, we're first introduced to this song in the film as the lead character Emmett recites a litany of everyday events in his life that he deems awesome. Using a turn signal, parking between the lines, dropping off his dry cleaning before noon, reading the headlines, smiling, rooting for the local sports team, returning compliments, drinking overpriced coffee is awesome. All of these mundane things of life he deems as an awesome experience, and he has no real conception of what awesomeness truly is. Driving the car returning a compliment, paying $37 for a coffee. That's what it says in the movie. And he says, awesome. All of these become equally awesome. Anazor goes on to say, and I've got this on the screen here, at the risk of taking all the fun out of a really fun song, I think Emmett and his little Lego world point to something about our own. We often lose touch with what is really meaningful. Everything is presented to us as momentous, worthy of comment, worthy of indulgence, so that our faculties become dull to the truly remarkable. We are numbed by triviality. If everything else is awesome, everything ceases to be awesome. Friends, I think he's on to something important here, right? When we become consumed with trivial things, I become numb to the things that are most important to God, to my wife, to my kids, to my church. It becomes harder and harder for us to feel the bigness of the important things in this world. I love how one comedian captured this. She said, just watch 30 minutes of local news, right? They go from, and the end of the world is about to happen to, where's the cheesiest pizza in town? I mean, these, you just start like, wow, like there's these stories, there's huge things happening and I should really care about them. But I also want to know where the cheesiest pizza in town is, right? And so we're fed all of this information all the time, and we no longer have the ability to discern what is the most important thing. I was just thinking about it myself, right? The war between Russia and Ukraine has been going on for well over a year now. It has lost its importance in my life. Oh, another 16 people died today. It's hard because I'm filled with so many distractions, and so many of them are simply trivial. Everything is important is presented to us as important. I'll finish. Anazor concludes this whole thing with this. At a time when everything must be posted, liked, commented on, and retweeted, we are slowly conditioned to treat worthy things unworthily. Anyone else besides me? Just get lost in a world of triviality. This issue is all the more important for us as Christians. We know that we've been invited into a personal relationship by the living God. We know that this God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die for our sins so that we can experience that life with him. We know that we have God's word to us to know him more intimately and personally. We know that we have the freedom together, especially in this country, to gather every single week with other brothers and sisters in order to encourage us and to worship this living God. And we know we have the greatest message of all time. 
We have been given access to the most important information in the entire world, but it's so easy for that to just become a part of everything else that we're intaking. I mean, I'll just say for me, these banners have been up here now for a couple of years. I don't even notice them anymore. I mean, I come into the worship center, you know, at least two or three times a week. It's so easy for me just to be blind to the important because I'm so obsessed with the trivial things in my life. And this is why we do this every year. We need a reminder every year about the vision, the mission that God has for us as his church, because it is not trivial. It is super important. Now that leads to a fourth cause of apathy, which if you're following is just what I'd call compassion fatigue. Have you heard this phrase before? It mostly happens to people who work in compassion industries like nurses, humanitarian workers, teachers, doctors. It's basically when you say there are so many problems, what can I do? I'm tired of seeing these things. And so instead of doing anything, we do nothing. If you are a person with empathy, this can be most effective for you, right? There's endless needs around me. Sometimes I just want to put my head in the sand and make it go all away. I will tell you personally, I receive an email almost every day, either personally or for our church, to help in this need. And here's the problem. They're all urgent. They're all important. They're all good. So what do I do? Can you relate to this? Constantly hearing messages. I mean, you come to church, you hear it every single week, right? Messages like, we should be caring for the poor. You should be sharing the gospel with your friends. You should be supporting local missions. You should be supporting overseas missions. You need to be loving your neighbor. You need to give generously. Praying for your enemy. Fighting for the unborn. Fighting for the widow and the orphan. Using your home as a center place for hospitality. Engage in politics. Mentor kids. Volunteer at the church. Jessica just asked you to do that. And it's easy for me to hear that and go, oh, somebody else will do that. I'm tired. Does that mean I have to go to two services on Sunday? Compassion fatigue. There's just so much need in the world today. I want to put my head in the sand. The temptation facing us is indifference. It's apathy. It's somebody else's problem. Fifth and finally, cause of apathy. And honestly, maybe the most simple explanation in the American church today is a lack of discipline in our spiritual lives. Doesn't it sometimes just come down to that? Just comes down to, I've got to make this a priority, and I'm not. I'll give you some examples. A recent survey showed that among Christians who say they believe the Bible is God's word, like God's actual word to us to know him better, only 49% of those people read the Bible. That's interesting. In the last five to 10 years, the average... Times that a person who is a Christian goes to church has dropped from 2.5 Sundays a month to 1.5 Sundays a month. You want to talk about the COVID effect. Over 78% of evangelical Christians have not shared their faith with someone for over six months. Only 21% of Christians tithe. Now, I'm not sharing these things to put a guilt trip on us. We are saved by grace alone through faith. But the idea behind this is just kind of revealing, right? Sometimes it just comes down 
to how we live out our lives on a daily basis? Are we being disciplined in what really matters? According to the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 and Galatians 5, he would say the vibrancy of your spiritual life with Jesus always is going to come down to what you're setting your mind on. If you set your mind on things above, of the important things, of the things of God, you will learn how to live a joyful and abundant life. But as we set our mind on the things of the flesh, we will find ourselves going down the path of apathy. And what happens is if we do this over and over again, something called atrophy begins to happen. Have you ever experienced atrophy on your body? When I got surgery on my uh, bicep a few years ago, had to be in a sling for like six, six weeks. They finally took the sling off, and I'm like, whose arm is that? That's pathetic. What happened? Atrophy happened because I wasn't using it. If we are not disciplined in the gifts that God has given us, eventually we will become just like the people in that church in Laodicea, lukewarm. Apathy, atrophy. To fight against this requires discipline. So I just say, are you experiencing any of these causes of apathy in your life right now? Do you have an overabundance of stuff? Your mind is on other things. Are you easily distracted by the trivial in the world today? Are you just tired, fatigued of trying to be a compassionate person? Or are you lacking in any discipline? What's the solution for us? following, excuse me, if, if you're still in the Bible or look at Jesus' answer to this in verse 19. In fact, can we read it out loud together? Here's his answer to apathy. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And then he goes on in verse 20 and says this beautiful invitation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. That's just a way of saying, I want to share life with you. Let me in and they with me. So the first step Jesus says to fighting against apathy, which is what we want to do in our church, is to repent. There's that church word again. You know what repent means? It just means turn. Acknowledge. Say, yes, Lord, I do see apathy in my life. If you're following on your notes, fighting apathy starts by acknowledging our apathy. Imagine that. Taking an honest assessment of my life. Lord, where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my money? Where am I putting my energy? Where am I putting my concerns? Where am I putting my love? And so let's just do that right now. Let's take some time together. You do this with the Lord right now. Ask him that question. Lord, where is apathy showing up in my life most? Is it in an overabundance of stuff? Is it distractions? Fatigue? Just a plain old lack of discipline? He says, turn to me. Bring that to me. It's okay. I'm waiting. I want to do life with you. I'm standing at the door right now. I'm knocking on your heart. I want to spend time with you. I want to transform you into something even better than you can imagine right now. I want you to experience not the false joy and promises this world offers, but the true joy that can only come from me. I am living water. I'm not lukewarm. I am living water 
that provides exactly what you need, and I want to share my heart with you. I would love nothing more than for you to be burning hot in this world for me and my kingdom. If you're following on your notes, Jesus doesn't want lukewarm disciples, but those who are all in. That's a poker term, sorry. Just means, like we say here, our vision, those who want to give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. Did you know never one time does Jesus simply say to somebody, believe in me. He always says, what? Follow me. Walk in my footsteps. Live the way that I lived. Follow the example I have set in my life and then make that your life. Again, if you're following, this means arranging our lives around his way, his words, and his works. Saying, I'm going to live the best that I can with the help of the power of the Holy Spirit the same way that Jesus lived his life. You remember those old bracelets, WWJD? I never liked those. I would always say something more like, live how Jesus lived. How about LHJL? Right? Follow in his way. Because I can't do everything that Jesus did all the time. But I can learn to follow him. To live how he lived his life. To walk in his footsteps. And so, of course, that leads to the question, well, what did Jesus do? How did he live? Well, we see it. He prayed. He got away from the distractions of the world to be alone with his father in solitude and silence. He meditated on God's word. He actually had the whole thing memorized at that point, the entire Old Testament. He gathered with others every single Saturday in synagogue to worship the living God, his father. He created a small group to do life together with, to mentor and disciple, and he served. I'm always amazed that Jesus was never compassion fatigued. His disciples were, right? Remember the people are hungry, the 5,000, and they're like, send them away. They got to go get their own food. And Jesus said, oh, you feed them. <laughs> I don't want to deal with people's needs anymore. If you want to solve the mystery of spiritual apathy, L-H-J-L. Let's live like Jesus lived. Now, what does that look like here at Cherry Hills? I'm glad you asked. I know you didn't ask. But you got all one of these on your seats here. And this is just a reminder, not only of our vision, um, but also of how we want to help you fight against spiritual apathy in your life. So if you would mind taking this out and turn to page three, you can see page two, there's our vision. Page three, I would just call this our strategy for fighting against apathy. And here are the things we are asking you. If you're saying, yes, I'm all in at Cherry Hills. I want to be a part of this vision. This is our best way to say, okay, then we'd love for you to get engaged in some of this. First, we'd love to you, for you to do life together with us in community. I will just say, it's not on here, but I would just say that starts with making gathering on Sunday mornings a non-negotiable. We need to be together with the people of God worshiping the living God. But if you're ready to go deeper, you're like, yes, I want to be a part of a community. We offer things like Discover class. I'll be doing that right after the second service today, right? We do membership classes. We do life groups. Cool thing, we've been doing some research. We have over 60% of our church family in life groups right now. That is pretty awesome. We would love that to be 100%. 
Because we know that you need someone else in your life, other people to encourage you, to sharpen you. We have care groups. Really awesome story. We just had the car show. We hosted it out here this weekend. We had a number of people come and talk to us. And one of them is going to get involved in our grief share group. Just lost their spouse. We have those kinds of groups available to you. You'll get an email later today with some of those options. Second thing is we want to help you be formed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what we're all about. That's what we're living for. And so there's a number of ways to do that. I'll say it again. It's not on here, but it starts with daily, making sure you're spending time with him in his word, in prayer, in silence, in solitude. But here's what we do. We have created last year something called the Institute. We've been noticing, right, the foundation for many believers today has gotten less and less shallow. If you want a deeper foundation, these are like college-level classes that you can take. We're going to be starting them up again this fall. Chuck teaches one on spiritual disciplines. Luke is going to teach one on theology. This is a way for you to be formed more deeply. We've got Bible studies for men, for women. We've got other classes for you to be able to take. And then last but not least, we want to do life together on mission. This is the hardest one. But we want you to see your everyday life where God has placed you. We want you to see you as a missionary. You've been sent there for a reason to share the greatest message in the world. We want to help you and myself become whole life stewards. Everything that God has given to me belongs to him. He's the owner. I'm just stewarding it. We want you to learn how to serve For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We want to be engaged in our mission partners. Now, again, you're reading this going, compassion fatigue, compassion fatigue, compassion fatigue. There's so much stuff. Here's all I'd say to you. One of the best classes that we've offered here for over 25, 30 years now, we used to call it network, but it's basically learning the spiritual gifts and passion that God has given you. And I want to relieve you of compassion fatigue. Once you learn those and once you learn your passion, pick one thing, one thing, one way to serve God with your gifts and your passion, maybe in the church, maybe outside of the church, but that's how we start to give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission. This isn't going to happen overnight. Battling apathy is a lifelong battle. Can I get an amen for that? But we can start. And it's one of the reasons we do this every single year. As the year goes on, it's just so easy for us to become less and less on fire for the Lord and for what he's doing in this world. But Jesus promises as we go after this, we find it in verse 21. Would you read it out loud there with me? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're falling on your notes, as we fight against apathy in our lives and give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission, Jesus promises a more joyful and meaningful life now and forever. And I know I forgot one of the lines. I saw Jeff's face. He was really concerned. But it was ultimately, we always become what we do. Back to the end. My life first. Like 21 years as a pastor, I don't know how much longer God has for me to do that. It's up to him. If I could get one message across 
to the church of Jesus Christ. It's John 10, 10. And it says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Apathy is a great way he does that. Stealing our hotness for Christ and his mission. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Do you believe that? He's not coming to take away all these things we think are gonna give us life. He's coming to give us true life, both now and forever. So Cherry Hills, as we head into this fall, next week I'm gonna be starting a series in the book of Jonah, what I'm referring to as the apathetic prophet, right? Here is a guy, an example of someone who was just apathetic about Jesus' mission in this world. But as we head into this fall, I'm just gonna ask you, will you join us? Well, you fight against the apathy in our life together by giving ourselves fully to him and his mission. I just will say to you, it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. Now, as we do every week, we're going to take communion. And what I'd like you to do is take that out if you have it with you. Don't open it yet. Jesus was not apathetic. We give ourselves fully to him because he gave himself fully to us. So if you're a part of this church, but you haven't yet understood Jesus as your savior and Lord, we would just ask that you let this pass. If you're visiting us from another church or you know Jesus personally as your savior, you're more than welcome to participate in this with us. But here's what I'd like to do a little different. I'm gonna invite you to stand, just holding on to this. We'll take this after we sing this song. As we think about our apathy, our indifference, our unconcern, our lack of enthusiasm, whatever it might be, hold this as a reminder as we sing, as we resurrender ourselves once again to Him. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.